Best Night Ever, a show where interesting people who do interesting things tell the story of their best night ever. I'm your host, Ian Hollihan. First of all, thank you, listener, for joining me on the maiden voyage of this podcast. Uh, I know I don't have any star power or credibility, so, you know, good on you for giving a, a brand new podcast a shot. Unless you're in the future listening to older episodes, uh, in which case, don't fucking judge me, future man. This is my first time doing this. <clears throat> I'm sorry about that. I'd like to think that we're the Billy Madison of podcasts, so every episode gets one F word, and I figured I would just, you know, get a, 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 that, that first one out of the way, right, right off the bat. Um, I'm sorry. Sorry for not warning you. This being the first episode, I thought it would make sense. It'd be kind of cool to tell you the quick story of how we got here. Uh, about five years ago, a very good friend of mine named Kerry had just moved back to New York from New Orleans, uh, and he was going through a rough patch. He was down on his luck. Uh, he went through a pretty heavy breakup. I, as far as I remember, he didn't have a job. I think he was living with his parents at the time. And, and, and in my opinion, not really any reason to be super positive or light of the party, you know. Uh, him and I and my girlfriend were hanging out at a bar here in Brooklyn one night. And out of the blue, he just asked, hey, guys, what was your best night ever? And me and my girlfriend both said, I have no idea. You know, nobody knows their best night ever. It's a weird question. And Carrie said, no, 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 it's not a weird question. Everyone has a best night ever. And then he told his best night ever. And it wasn't a crazy story. It wasn't anything remarkable. It was just he went to a Mets game and he ran into his sister who he hadn't seen in a while. And it was his best night ever. And there was something about the way he told the story, the emotion behind it, the energy behind it, that made it kind of remarkable. And as he was telling his story, both me and my girlfriend realized, oh, no, wait, we do have one of those. And here's our story of our best night ever. And then I had the thought, like, geez, like, maybe everyone really does have a best night ever. They just might not know which one it is yet. And then, like, ideal light bulb above my head, this would be a pretty cool podcast. You know, have interesting people on, tell the story of their best night ever. Uh, that'd be super cool. But, you know, I... I I have no idea uh, how to make a podcast. You know, that's that's something other cooler people do. They make podcasts. I mean, I'm pretty cool. I have tattoos, but well, they're the ones who do the podcast. So that was just my mindset for about five years. And over the five years, it would come up, like sitting around, uh, hey, I have this cool idea for a, a podcast where, you know, me and Carrie would host and we would have guests on and they would tell their stories and everyone would be like, oh, that's a pretty cool idea, but you don't do podcasts other cooler people do podcasts. And, and to me, that was just like the reality. It's an idea and it'll never be anything for five years until about five months ago. I met a guy named Matt Martinez. He has his own show uh, called Plus One Player. It's about video games. So if you like video games, you should totally, absolutely check it out. It's terrific. Or, you know, if if you hate video games to the extent that you like making fun of folks who do like video games, you should check it out. You know, they're inclusive. Anyways, Matt told me it's actually really uh, not that difficult to have a podcast. You just need uh, relatively good microphones, the software downloaded on your computer, and like the website to host everything. And that's it. And then I says to him, I says, wow, it's not that difficult. You just have to do it. It's like uh, that saying, what's the first step of becoming a great writer? Right. Uh, so I did uh, what I assume is the first step of becoming a podcaster uh, person is I bought two pretty good microphones and I did the program and I got the website and I text Carrie and I was like, Carrie, after five years, we're finally going to do it. We're finally going to do this podcast. Best night ever. And he said, I don't want to do it. But it didn't deter me because the microphones were non-refundable. And I reached out to a few other people who might want to co-host and uh, really no one was interested except for Reggie Miller, uh, my cat. Not the 
Indiana Pacers legend Reggie Miller. That's that'd be crazy. The cat and the basketball player have nothing in common. I, I'm assuming I've never met the person Reggie Miller. Let me rephrase. I would be shocked if the cat and the person Reggie Miller have anything in common. Anyways, anyways, it'd be pretty cool to have him on the show, but he wouldn't be on this show. I have a, a, a serious fear of being an awful host because it, it drives me crazy. When you're listening to a podcast and the content is so good, but the host is such a toolbox, it makes it unlistenable. And I'm just so afraid that if I'm alone with a microphone, I'll uh, I'll be a proverbial Home Depot of toolboxness. Uh, so every show I'm going to have Reggie Miller with me, and every few weeks I'll have a co-host who you know is human and ideally can talk, uh, who will help me. I don't know, uh, not sound like a jabroni. And over the course of the podcast, we're going to listen to a couple comedians, some writers, some journalists, uh, a Disney princess. Uh, a singer, um, that the the guy who who teaches kids to hammer shit into their face at Coney Island. We're, we're talking to him. Uh, hopefully, we'll get him on the show. Um, and some notable names. And every person I reached out to kind of had the same reaction. Like, I'll do it, but I need time to think because it's got to be a great story. And I, I tried really hard to really convey that it doesn't. It doesn't have to be an epic blowout story. It just has to be your best night ever. And as long as it is, and as long as you have that emotion, as long as you have that energy as you're telling the story, it will be remarkable and people are going to like it. Or they won't. And this is just a big waste of time. I don't think it is. Science Storyteller is a guy named Mike Park. You might know who he is if you were into the punk scene or the ska scene in the early 90s or mid-90s. He was in a third-wave ska band called Skank and Pickle. Uh, ska is really weird. It it became crazy polarizing all of a sudden, uh, where like there's a line drawn in the sand. You're either on, on, on this side, where we hate ska, you're on that side, where you like ska, or you just don't hate it. Uh, if you, if you just don't hit it, you still are against us or the enemy or the Hatfields and the McCoys. It's crazy. When I was younger, Warped Tour had the punk bands and the ska bands and everyone had a great time. But around like the early 2000s, there was a, a flip switched by the cool kids community that said ska is no longer cool. And all those other kids in the nineties were right who hated ska. It's crazy. Now, one person who genuinely loves his hatred of ska is my brother, Matt. Uh, he's my older brother. He's five years older. He's a writer, he's an attorney, he's a father. Uh, we have very similar sense of humor. Uh, he's someone whose opinion I really respect uh, and appreciate. And him and I never really saw eye to eye in terms of music. Uh, it's not like we argued or fought over it. It's just like he liked his stuff and I liked my stuff. Growing up, he only really liked two musical groups and that was They Might Be Giants and, of course, En Vogue. Because, you know, if you like They Might Be Giants, obviously you're going to like En Vogue. So yeah, summing up my brother musically, hates ska, likes They Might Be Giants, ergo... Loves En Vogue. Now, being that the first storyteller is this ska legend, I thought it would be kind of cool to have someone like my brother on the show to kind of pick his brain and figure out what it is about the scene or the music that would make him have such passionate hate. So, without further ado, I would like to tell you that I'm not going to give my brother the satisfaction of a forum to spit his hate speech. But uh, what I will do is have his childhood best friend, John Verivi, spit his hate speech. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Ian. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Uh, now, you admittedly were or are still part of the He-Man Ska Hating Club, right? What's the deal? <laughs> why, why do you care so much? Why does it uh, make you so angry? You know, growing up in Orange County um, in the coming of age in the early 90s, uh, you kind of were in two camps. Well, there were like three camps. There was the Ska Punks, uh, Skaters, uh, Ne'er-Do-Wells, and then there was like the Metalheads. And I fell pretty squarely into the metalhead camp, and we just didn't abide by uh, trombones on our shit, you know? Uh, I've come a long way since then. I, I can appreciate it now, but it's still not not my favorite go-to, you know, don't skank. I don't do a lot of skanking. That's like 
make a scene because I really, really want to trivialize this as much as I can. Uh, you're standing there wearing your morbid angel t-shirt and you see these three kids, right? One of them's wearing a Misfits shirt. The other one's wearing, I don't know, a, a Nirvana shirt. And the third one has a mustard plug shirt. Was your mindset like Misfits kid, whatever, Nirvana kid, whatever. But, but that kid... I hate every inch of his body. I hate everything he chooses to stand for. Or am, or am I just like way overthinking this? Um, I think you're a little bit overthinking it, but I think it was there for sure. Um, I t- turns out I, I ended up, I'm a, a freelance journalist and beer writer and the, the trombonist, I think it may have been the trumpet player, for Real Big Fish opened a brewery in Long Beach. So I got to talk to him about that, which was, I did and not tell him that I was not a fan of. Was it so you were civil? Yes, I was very. Cool. Thanks, John. So anyways, Mike Park, he started a record label called Asian Man Records. And because of that, he's now affiliated with uh, bigger name bands like Alkaline Trio, uh, RX Bandits, Less Than Jake. Skank and Pickle never got mega famous, but Mike Park has had a steady career for like 30 years just because he's a really cool dude and a really friendly person. I mean, he's also, you know, a, a talented producer and uh, a musician, but it doesn't hurt to be super nice and cool to, you know, as many people as he can. In the early 2000s, he was heavily involved with the Bands Against Bush movement and has been an outspoken social activist forever because he believes, you know, humans should have rights. You know, crazy. He doesn't tour that often, but when he does, he gets kind of creative with it. For example, uh, he went on a thing called the Living Room Tour, which is kind of neat. He toured the country, but didn't play any actual venues. He only played people's homes, like living rooms and basements with his acoustic guitar and his girlfriend at the time, who is now the mother of his awesome kid. Mike's story is the perfect first story for this show because it's really not that exciting. Now, keep in mind, Mike Park, he has a bunch of famous, interesting friends. He's probably done a ton of crazy stuff, but to him, his best night ever, his whole story is, uh, it's a short story about his friends from out of town visiting, them staying up way too late and not having to spend a dime. And that's it. It's great. One thing you should know before the story starts is there is a band out there called the Suicide Machines. They're from Detroit. They're a punk band. They started in the mid nineties. They're, they're not a hardcore band. Like they're, I wouldn't call them hardcore. They're not like rah, 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 hardcore, but you know, they're pretty hardcore. If you know what I mean? Um, my favorite song of theirs is a song called Sometimes I Don't Mind. Uh, it's actually a love song to the lead singer's dog, which is pretty cute. Uh, and I just think it's, it's, I don't know, sweet that. Most of their songs are like, God damn it, I'm so angry. But for this one three-minute song, uh, he wanted to acknowledge that he loved his dog. Uh, And it's just cute as buttons. After the show, go ahead and subscribe, please. uh, And leave some comments. I'd love to hear what you guys think. Unless it's negative. Uh, Yeah, leave that stuff at home. You know, why why would you want to ruin my day? You know, let's let's keep it positive. And, you know, at least I'm trying. Okay. Here is the best night ever from Mike Park. So my best night ever, that's it's kind of a, a tough question to ask. Uh, I've had a lot of great nights, and um, I picked this particular one because it's, it's a funny story. It's uh, kind of short. I had opened up office in Tokyo, Japan, 
for Asian Man Records. We had some success with a band called Softball, this three-piece girl pop-punk band, kind of in the vein of Ramones meets Screeching Weasel. And without even trying, we ended up selling like 60,000 records in Japan. And I thought, wow, this is, I didn't even do anything. This is so easy. I got to go to Japan and see if I can do more. And that was the kind of the uh, kickstart to, to try and open up Asian Man Japan and just get a presence over there. Uh, and it was always, every time I've been to Japan, it's always been in, in some kind of business environment, whether it be producing a record or playing music. Or in this case, I was trying to open up and start uh, Asian Man in Japan. And it was basically just a, it wasn't even an office. I, I, I was renting out a cubicle. It was just ended up being way too little business on my end and way too much having fun. During this time, just coincidentally, a lot of bands that I knew from the U.S. would be touring Japan, so I would just go and hang out. And uh, this one time, the suicide machines came. I think this was, it was either 99 or 2000. I think I had been friends with the suicide machines at that point, probably around 10 years. I had met them. They were, Suicide Machines were a band I met when Skanga Pickle first played in Detroit. They were one of the openers. They were young. I think Derek, the drummer, was 13 at the time. So they had always been really supportive early on, helping put on shows. And I think Jay worked at Little Caesars too, the singer. I remember after the show, he just, I think we stayed at one of the members' homes and Jay just brought like five pizzas back to the house. We were so excited. Nobody's in the band anymore from that era, except for Jay, the singer. The record label that they were on panel was a label called AVEC. And at the time, they were a fairly new label, but it was definitely a major label, and they had a ton of money, and they were spending a lot of money on their artists. And so I met up with the Suicide Machines um, at the club and hung out, watched the show, and then afterwards, the record label took us out um, and I was invited to go. And so the people from AVEX who were taking us around, they just knew I was a friend of the band. They had no idea that I was doing what I was doing, why I was there. I think strictly they thought, okay, he's a friend of the band and, and we'll just bring him along. But they're awesome. I just got to do everything for free, basically. the record company's dime. So it started out with, uh, I think we just went out to dinner. I thought, okay, that's pretty cool. I'm just having dinner. I'm good with that. And then it just kept kept growing. From there, it went from free dinner to, okay, let's go out karaoke. So I was like, okay. So I'm just a straggler who's going going along with whatever they're doing with their with the record label and the band. So at the karaoke, they pay for everything. They're paying for drinks. And I'm just like, I'm kind of like tallying up the amount of money they're spending. I'm like, wow, this is not cheap, but it's pretty awesome. So now it's probably like 2.30 in the morning and they're like, okay, we're going to go bowling now. I'm like, oh, this is great. 
At this point, I'm like, oh, they're definitely going to pay for everything. So we go bowling. The two guys, I can't remember their names, the two guys from the record label, they're pretty drunk at this point. Like, they're bowling, doing handstands, and just buying more drinks. So everybody's drinking. And, I, and then again, I'm just tallying up the bill. I'm like, geez, it's not cheap, but they're like, anything you want. So we just have, I think it's just mostly beer at the bowling alley, but we're just going for it. Next thing you know, it's like 4.30 in the morning. They're like, oh, let's keep going. Yeah, everyone was gung-ho. We were just going with the flow. I, I think maybe the singer had bailed early, but I'm pretty sure the drummer at the time was Ryan uh, and Royce, the bass player. They were there for sure. Dan, the guitarist at the time, might have bailed too, but at least two of us were still going strong until the very end. So we're like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, so we go to another restaurant. I'm like, okay, let's get, let's get udon. I'm like, okay. Um, well, I don't say anything. I'm just going, I'm just, again, just hanging, hanging out. So we, we eat noodles, we drink more beer, and now the sun is coming up. But somehow everyone is still extremely energized. Um, and they said, okay, well, let's, Let's go to this bar and go dancing. So like, okay. So next thing you know, we're at this bar called Milk uh, in some area in Tokyo. It's like 6.30 in the morning and it's packed. And people are dancing hard. So we're just, we're going hard. And it was, it was expensive, like 30 bucks a person. But they paid for everything again. Um, so we dance until like, I don't even know, 9 a.m. Drink more alcohol. And then we come out, full on daytime. The, the streets are now packed with people bustling to their jobs. Uh, and, uh, we we get dropped off at a hotel. Well, actually, I get dropped off at the Suicide Machines Hotel, and the bass player says, yeah, just come sleep on my floor. So I remember just going into his room, and the, the hotel rooms in Japan are just, they're just these small, like, one-person rooms where you just have a bed, bathroom, and very little room other than that. So I barely fit in this crevice next to the bed. Uh, the bass player's name is Royce. He threw me the, the comforter. He gave me a pillow. I remember just looking at the clock. It was almost 10 a.m. and then went to sleep. I always thought, wow, that was a great... And thinking and saying it to Royce, wow, this was a pretty amazing night. It's just been a, as crazy or the greatest night ever. Ever. Thank you, Mike, for sharing that story. Yeah, just a bunch of old friends in a strange city staying up way too late and not having to spend a dime. That sounds like a pretty great night. If you want to see Mike live and you don't live in the greater San Jose area, you're probably out of luck. But you can always find his recording stuff. You can just Google Skank and Pickle, the Chinkies, the Bruce Lee Band, the Kitty Cat Fan Club. He also has a ton of solo work and he has kind of a new children's album. Oh, and uh, also if you're if you're getting hitched, uh, he can come and marry you guys. Uh, you just go to 
punkrockwedding.net and he can officiate. My good friends Greg and Janice, he actually officiated their wedding and, you know, they're still together. So. The theme song is provided by Ghost of Lester Bangs. Thanks again to John Verivi for letting us pick his hate. Our website is bestnighteverpodcast.com where you can see original artwork that pertains to each episode. It's pretty neat. Um... Do you have any thoughts, concerns, questions, comments? Just want to say hi? Do you have a best night ever that you'd like me to hear? Do you need advice on preparing the perfect carbonara? Do you want to see pictures of my cat? Do you want to send me pictures of your cat? I'd love to see pictures of your cat. Uh, you can email us at bestnightpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we uh, started a Twitter. I've never had a Twitter in my life, a, a personal Twitter. Uh, but I was told by, you know... Uh, young people that i gotta have one so anyways uh, our, our twitter majigger is bne podcast i'll try and post as much as i can if you if you message me there i mean i'm gonna respond like what else am i doing next week we're gonna have new york times best-selling author alex palmer tell us that you can have a best night ever that involves handcuffs and it doesn't have to be kinky <laughs> i'm sorry about that no i try to keep the already stuff at home Anyways, whether you're listening in the daytime, afternoon, or night, I really hope it's your best ever. See you next time. Bye.